Welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Hey, Diane. Hello, Jen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It is it is a crazy time for me. I don't know about you. I mean, it's always sort of a wild, bonkers time in my life now, but but I feel like right now it's particularly wild. How's everything for you? Everything is wild here, too. In fact, I was just saying to my friend, if I can get to March without just like collapsing <laughs> between work obligations and performances and momming, you know, mm -hmm. I will be so proud of myself if I make it to March because then I'll be able to breathe. <laughs> yes. And for and for anyone who's who's trying to keep track of when we are recording this, it is early January. Yes. 2020. So like, she's got a month and a half or so to go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I did this to myself. I, I have a, a recital that I'm singing in at the end of January. And then the beginning of February, I've had my students entered into a competition. And then I decided it would be a good idea to schedule our winter concert for our school at the end of February. And then I thought, well, I might as well just run a webinar for this professional organization that I'm in the same weekend as this winter concert, just throw that in there too. <laughs> but you know what? Like your life will just, will just run roughshod until you hit that weekend when all the things happen. And then it will be like the pressure releasing on an instant pot. I know. <laughs> it's really it's like, actually going to feel really nice. I'm, I'm yep. pretty excited for it. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm secretly a little bit jealous. <laughs> Do you feel like the, the pressure is never going to last? Oh, no, never, never. I live in a constant state of like, like I'm constantly turning the time up on my Instant Pot of, of, of my, <laughs> my brain. Just like, oh, four minutes left. Great. I'm almost done. Nope. Put it up to 100. <laughs> still, more, still more time. Never You're released. still cooking. I'm still cooking. <laughs> Do you have a mom moment you want to share? I do. I have a mom moment to share with you that I hope you are really going to appreciate. Um, because right now, Diane, in the, the, the wild, crazy, bonkers reality that I live in, my constant companion is the mouse. Me and Mickey are like super, oh my God. super close right now. Let me tell you, like right next to me on the table where I'm recording is my pile of things that are coming with us to Disney World that I can't let anyone in my family touch for fear that they will misplace it before I have a chance to pack it. It is just, my mom moment right now is like two weeks long and will continue for the next week as I plan and prep for us to go to Disney World because who boy, boy howdy. It is not something you can just spur of the moment decide to do. <laughs> it is so wild. I had no, I had no idea. I spent like five hours this weekend with a notepad, just itinerizing. <laughs> just oh, but like, you're going to have such a good time. Oh my God, I better. <laughs> you will. Trust me, you're, you're putting the work in. You're going to have a good time. And I am just a text away if you need any. Oh my God, honestly. Yeah. So anybody who's, so Diane helped conceive the, the first born Disney trip. <laughs> Um, I was like, Diane, I'm thinking about going to Disney, help me. And then she just like, 
stepped up to the plate with this huge spreadsheet of like, this is everything you need to know about going to Disney. And up until I sat down to start making the itinerary, I was really like, eh, I got this. It's fine. Like my mom and dad brought us to Disney several times and they didn't have to do anything wild and crazy to plan. Well, Disney is not the same as it was in the early nineties. <laughs> so different now. And honestly, it's getting like, and this is coming from somebody who like, loves the planning aspect of this and like is a total nerd about it it's getting to be too much yeah yes it's just <laughs> insanity that you have to book like reservations to eat at a restaurant yeah six six months in advance six months in advance and i was i, I was online last night and and i was like joe i have a question i i think i think i may have screwed something up and he was like what why did you screw up and i was like I didn't make reservations for Emma to go to the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. And I'm like freaking out. And he was like, I think she's a little too young for that. And I was like, no, her first trip to Disney's ruined. <laughs> like that's where we're at right now. So I'm just. <laughs> oh my God. That's hysterical. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me about your mom moment. Well, mine's pretty short and sweet. Uh, my daughter started crawling forward last I week. I saw her. I saw yeah. her. Oh, I'm so excited. Yep. I mean, it's still more of like a slow drag. She's like a little slug. Floor. Yep. <laughs> but she's moving forward because for for months she was going backwards and in circles and that was it. And now she actually is going forward. And this morning before we started recording, I was in the kitchen making coffee and my husband was in the living room with her and she crawled around the corner mm-hmm. to the I kitchen to video. find me. Oh, it was so cute. I was like, was oh, really cute. you too, girl. Yeah. So now mommy and daddy have to baby proof. Yes. Yes. Get on it. Oh, yeah. It's terrifying. Tell me, what are we discussing today? I love that it's a surprise now. I'm so into this. I know. It's great. So I think you're going to enjoy this. I am, as I said a few minutes ago, mouse obsessed right now. It is just like all Disney all the time. And so when I was thinking about what I might want to do a little bit more research into, because I realized how different going to Disney is going to be for me now than it was when I was a kid 20 years ago. And I was like, this is, this is wild. So I decided to do a little bit of research into family vacations and, and vacationing a little bit more broadly as well. But what I learned is, I mean, none of it's going to come as much of a surprise to you. (laughs) At this point, what we know about the history of parenting makes all this look like, oh yeah, okay. (laughs) I can't wait. So basically, prior to the 19th century, so before the 1800s, vacations as we understand them to be in like their modern form of like going away for leisure was only done by the most wealthy members of society. And so you have all of these stories where people like Pride and Prejudice, there are all of these families that have so much money and they have their town home for the winter and then they have their summer home in the country that they go to and they just like uproot their lives and take all their servants and all their belongings and go to their other house. <laughs> and so vacationing was sort of this very European thing. And prior to the late 1800s, I believe, there was no... There was no vacationing in America because we were a Puritan society. And so it was just Ah. work, 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 work. If you weren't working, you were lazy. And if you were being lazy, you were probably sinning. And if you were sinning, get out of here. So it was just like, 
be working and and there's no room for, you know, and, and children work too. There were no labor laws until the, I think the late 1800s. So, oh, yeah, so you know, like say. the children worked too. Everybody worked. And Your there was, was yeah, like in the factory. <laughs> exactly. So it was just a very different feeling in, uh, certainly in America when it came to vacationing. So in Europe, you have people leaving their homes in the town to go out to the country and the term, so so I love etymology, so I was very pleased to learn more about the history of the word vacation, which was so obvious to me once I read it. But the term vacation was originally associated with the law courts in England who would vacate the courts during the summer. And so they would go on vacation from Oh. lying from from like doing their courtly duties from lying. lying and then universities started doing this as well and then all schools during the summer months would would sort of take this break and it was a break for teachers to go and and sort of like take a break from teaching students and also sort of have these conferences where they'd talk about what they did successfully during the last year and what they need to improve on and all that stuff. And also it was conveniently the summer months when harvests needed to happen. So all of these children who weren't in school anymore could then be used for the harvest. So, ah, so summer vacation from schools specifically was very much uh, centered around needing more hands in rural communities to do work around the harvest. So before the late 1800s, summer was for children to work and to do sort of like unorganized playing when they weren't working. And that was it. And also it extended beyond summer as well because there wasn't school yet that that all children had to go to. That wasn't until um, I think the 1880s was when school became a requirement in America. Now, most of everything I'm going to be talking about from this point onwards is American. So just keep that in mind. So as we go into the 1900s, you have industrialization, right? And so many families who had moved inland for various reasons are now migrating back to the coast to be near factories and things like that. So you have all these people moving towards the cities. And as a result, there's nothing for children to do, right? Because they are, like if they're not working in a factory and they have school during the year and then all of a sudden they have off, what do we do with these children? Because now there are child labor laws, <laughs> you know, it's like, right. well, and, and they're, do they're not on the farm. Yeah. Right? They're not so. on the farm. So they're not doing farm work and they're not with their families working and there are labor laws. So they can't be working, you know, all summer long in a mill or whatever. So, so what do we do with them? And our Puritan roots fear laziness and they can't have this idle time. So, Boys specifically, this was like a real problem where they were like, we can't let boys sit around idly. So they create summer camps. Ooh, ooh, mm -hmm. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and summer camps were, they were created to help boys experience a hearty rural life because they had all gone to the city and gotten soft, you know? So, <laughs> and <laughs> there was this fear that they would actually, quote unquote, die of indoorness. Like they need to be outside in the wilderness. And so there was this targeted effort towards middle-class boys who were thought to be spending too much time indoors doing feminized things, as in 
being in their homes and being at school, which were considered like women territory. So it was like, we need to get these boys outside doing man stuff. We need to prepare them to be men and they're not going to get that at home and at school. So (laughs) I'm rolling my eyes so hard. (laughs) I know. So, so really summer camps were originally created to quote, provide savagery to boys and counteract becoming sissified. 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 Okay, I have so many new terms I can use now. Endorness. Sissified. Endorness. Okay. Oh my gosh. I know. It's like, this was a good one. All right. So there was this really interesting thing that acted as like a pilot program, an unintentional pilot program for bringing children out into the into the wilderness, into the rural area to to benefit them. And it was in the 1850s, the New York City Children's Aid Society went around New York City streets and collected all of who they considered to be like street rats and street urchins, collected them up and sent them out West to live with adopted Christian families to raise them to be good citizens and to raise them to to be hard workers and all this because if they just lived on the streets begging even if some of them had families they were just like rounded up like by people catchers like a dog catcher and they're just thrown on trains and sent to christian families to be raised out working on farms i just so they use this as a, an example of, well, children need to, you know, if we let them just sit around, they're going to be want to fall into laziness and vice. And we need to sort of, you know, establish these camps and send them out to these camps so they can learn to be good American citizens. This is insanity, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> so by, by World War One, girls started going to camps, but... When girls went to camps, they went to camps. Oh, can I can I guess what they did? Yes. Did they learn like sewing and cooking and like how to be a good wife? Yes, that's exactly my my sentence is. But they cooked, sewed, and prepared for motherhood. So wow. nailed it, Diane. That's exactly <laughs> what they did. A hundred points for me. <laughs> so the other thing that was thought to be good for girls about going to camp is that it would stop them from becoming the new woman. Air quotes. New women wore short skirts, smoked, and embraced their sexuality. So the new women were cool. Yeah, right? (laughs) So they'd send these girls off to have these, like, independent months away at summer camp to, you know, learn to be good women. But, But what they didn't realize was that they were giving these young girls independence and yeah letting them sort of like do their own thing and they came back more confident and probably more likely to become new women <laughs> Whoo, oops <laughs> so um <laughs> that backfired you know but probably for the best <laughs> yeah feminism oh yeah <laughs> so so then during world war ii camp shifted from preparing kids for adulthood to prolonging and protecting innocence because how interesting yeah, right? because the great depression had happened we had just been through these two world wars people were just like it's so hard when you don't know when joy is coming next <laughs> like at any moment things could fall apart let's let children be children and so children then were allowed to go to camp and just have fun it became recreational it became about doing sports and fun hobbies and all sorts of things like that so that was around right right after world war ii that's when there was that shift in mentality. Now let's talk a little bit about 
a different form of vacation, the family vacation, which is completely different from camp and <laughs> and like children having time off from school in the summertime, right? So the family vacation, the the sort of originator, I guess, of the American family vacation was a Boston preacher by the name of William H. H. Murray, who in 1869 published a book called Adventures in the Wilderness about camping in the Adirondacks. And he like made this book that was a guide to going out into the wilderness and sort of like having this spiritual connection with nature in like nature is God's house, like go out and be with nature. And that's how you're going to be a fuller, more relaxed, healthier person, you know? And so you had all of these people pick up this book. It became a wild sensation. And that summer, just people flooded to the Adirondacks and it did not have the infrastructure to have that many people <laughs> suddenly like descend upon it because the Adirondacks was wilderness at that point. There were no hotels, there were no hiking trails, you know, so like all of these hoi polloi from New York City just like descended upon the Adirondacks and you just sort of like destroyed it. <laughs> like, like it was fine. They did minimal damage, but it was also the coldest, rainiest summer in known history in the Adirondacks. And so people had a miserable time. This went from, they were originally called Murray's Rush, like the gold rush. But then by the end of the summer, they were all re-coined to be Murray's Fools because he had released the book on April Fool's Day. <laughs> and so it just like all backfired. But people were like, no, there's something to this. And so you had all of these places that the infrastructure started building and then you had all of these family summer camps that built up in that area. Um, so the Adirondacks, the Catskills, all of these places that became these like family getaways and people would leave their homes in New York or wherever for like several months sometimes to be at this you know place in the mountains that they rent with their entire family. What time period was this again? This is like the late 1800s, early 1900s. So yeah, so I mean, that became really popular, like the, the going and staying between like the 1920s and 1950s, I guess, 1960s, maybe. So we'll talk about some of like the pop culture references to such things, because there's a lot of them. And that's another interesting thing. So Okay. So the so the whole idea was that, you know, cities are bad for you. We this has been something that is a theme for a while. Like it's like cities are bad, they create laziness, you need to, you know, vacate them annually for physical and spiritual health. So Americans sort of started to embrace this idea of either an annual family vacation or or sort of these one-off family trips. And eventually the infrastructure, not only in, you know, these rural getaway spots, but just the infrastructure of America in general started to support that. So you have the interstate highways started spreading out all over the country, and then you have the transcontinental railroad. So people are able to actually get from one place to another quickly, because, you know, if you wanted to go from one side of the country to the other, in the days of carriages, it would take you four months. But the train gets created, and now it's going to take you a couple weeks. It's not so bad. Then the car, the personal automobile comes along and interstate highways. And now people are just getting in their cars and going all over the place. And they'll travel for 24 hours or more in their car with their kids. And, you know, 
with their kids rolling around in the back seat. Right, rolling around in the back seat, just like <laughs> woo, just there's there are all these great images of like parents and their kids in the back seat with the top down, no seatbelt on. Oh, like, the light. No car seats, <laughs> just like free and breezy. So just a totally different, you know, you think about that, how people approach family vacationing then and now like trying to plan this trip to Disney, I'm like, whoo. Right. <laughs> really like and and it was sort of like this magical time where just getting in the car and going for a drive was was for a drive that long was so novel that that was really the entertainment was being in the car and going for this very long drive. Whereas now our cars are filled with DVD players and we have to make sure our kids iPads are packed because like, oh, no, we're going to spend an hour in the car. <laughs> instant gratification now baby you know right? it is that's right so it's just very different when it comes to like getting in the car so and, different and traveling distances and the other reason why car travel and the family road trip became so popular was because taking airplanes started to become prohibitively expensive for a lot of families and you know this from your childhood you took your big road trip we sure did every year we drove from new jersey down to orlando florida yeah, you are one of the last great bastions of the American family road trip, Diane. And we also every year, so we would we would do two big family vacations every year. We would we would drive down to Florida and we would drive up to Quebec. Ah. So that was in like an eight, eight yeah. and a half hour drive. Going down to Florida was like 18 oh, hours. Yeah. But it's a long way. I often wonder, my dad will say to me sometimes, oh, like when we take a big, you know, family Disney vacation with Rini are we going to drive down like when you were little? Cause we mm-hmm. would pack in the car with my grandparents. And yeah, I was like, I don't know if today's kids can handle a trip that long. Yeah. In the car. That's yeah, a know. long time. It is. I don't it know. Is. I know it's, it's really, I mean, I've only ever taken that, that trip. I've driven from New Jersey to Florida once in my life. And I went down and took a plane back because it was such it was such misery, but I was an adult and I was with two people who were miserable. So like it, <laughs> so like I wasn't in the right environment. When my husband and I went on our honeymoon, this was not with children, but we took a plane down to Florida and then we drove, we rented a car and drove back, which was like wow. the first test of our marriage. <laughs> mm, no, yeah. we had a, we had a great time. I mean, like sitting in traffic kind of sucks and you know like yeah. around Washington DC you had a ton of that but like mm-hmm. I don't know I think there's something to be said for being stuck in the car with your family and having like being forced to talk to them yes so so I'm glad you brought that up Diane because this segues really well to sort of like the final the final piece of this that I wanted to talk about which is that families wanted to take family vacations because it was seen as this opportunity to sort of like reconnect, to build your relationships, and and that that was like really integral to the success of a family in in America. Mm-hmm. And so you know, in the in the mid nineteen hundreds, and you know, uh, or so like the nineteen forties, fifties, sixties, that time. And so so you have all these family camps that are now popping up. And what is so fascinating about it is that. When you put family together for long stretches of, of time, you generate an enormous amount of drama. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So that's why I think we see these camps in a lot of 
movies, television shows, like it, it's so, so let's go over some of like the, the most popular occurrences of the family camp for either recreation or religion or, you know, whatever ties the, the group together or whatever. So you've got in Tommy and the Who's Tommy. Yep. You've got Tommy's holiday camp, which uh-huh. is terrifying, but like it's very much the, the family holiday camp. Dirty Dancing. I was just going to say that. Yes, I was going to say Dirty Dancing is my favorite one. Yes, Dirty Dancing is great. There's A Walk on the Moon, which is a wonderful movie about a Jewish family that goes out to a camp in, it's over by Woodstock, New York. And and so it's sort of like about this woman who goes with her family, but her husband has to stay in the city to work and like her, <laughs> her like affair over the summer that happens because her husband isn't there. It's oh, very, I, it's a great movie. Also, I don't know if you've watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but the whole second yes. season takes place in the Catskills. <laughs> Amazing. I learned, this is something I didn't know, but I learned that the colloquial term for the Catskills family campgrounds is the borscht belt, <laughs> which I thought was like... That's hysterical. <laughs> but that's what it's called <laughs> so but yeah there's a ton like there were all these jewish families from new york who would just migrate in the summer to the catskills to vacation and so you had all these groups that would come together and that was really common like on martha's vineyard there is a community in oak bluffs historically where african americans would go to camp and so it's like all of these groups that would sort of be thrust together in a city where they all have to be together with one another, all of these different religions, all these different backgrounds. But then in the summer, they'd go to vacation and they'd segregate themselves into these groups yeah. <laughs> to vacation. So I just think it's fascinating, this idea of like people getting away from the city, getting away from diversity, being with their families, high drama, <laughs> 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 crazy. And that we choose to do that, that we choose to sort of like go be away in a car for days on end or in a confined space or that we go for months at a campground where you know the only people you are with are your immediate family and like all these family friends who know you and everybody else's business (laughs) so it's it's really interesting and and so then as I'm looking into this it reminded me of my I guess like the most analogous experience I have to the family camp which is, I'm sure Chuck has talked to you about this. Uh, when we were little. I know where this is going. Continue. <laughs> when we were little, we used to go to this place every summer, sometimes other times of the year too, but I, I'm pretty sure for the most part, it was like a summer thing that we did. We'd go for like a week. It was this place in New York state called Roseland Ranch. And I thought this was like a thing that didn't exist anymore. No, Diane. Like, I don't think Roseland Ranch exists anymore, but the family camp ranch is still like, super popular throughout the country. (laughs) Yeah, Rocking Horse Ranch is still around. Yeah. Not far from us. So you go, you get a cabin. It's like an all-inclusive thing. So you you show up at like the dining hall and you can eat whatever you want at any time, day or night. There's food there. There's activities. There's entertainment. There's horseback riding. There's all these outdoor things. You can ride ATVs. You can play softball. It's like it's like a summer camp for family with like a Western theme. But I just thought about how 
we still we went and did that in like the 90s and that it was the huge part of growing up in my family was this trip that we took every year and like if you got invited to go to Roseland Ranch with us you were like the cream of the crop like not very many people (laughs) got to go to Roseland Ranch with my family so like it was a big deal when you did I think about that now and like would I take my children today to a place like Roseland Ranch I don't know (laughs) Like, I just, yeah, I feel like, I I mean, certainly not at this age, I wouldn't take them when they were older. I'm sure I'll feel differently about it. And I'll want to like, create that experience for them. That's, you know, like a little bit different than what they (laughs) like the very cushy, clean, sanitized experience of the world that they have right now. Right now, I think family vacation is more an opportunity for them to try to be a little bit independent while we're together. So like learning how to navigate the world outside of their comfort zone, you know, whereas I think historically family vacations were like, no, you're with your family and you're like, stay with your family and you don't, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It is very interesting. Yeah. And it's, I remember the, a few times when we went to Canada, when we, when my brother and I were in high school and my parents would let us kind of go off on our own like they would go out to dinner and just be like okay like do your thing and here's a key to the hotel room and um we would like go get crepes or like and I mean everybody speaks a little bit of English but mostly they speak French and so it was interesting for us you know to experience going out and you know trying to communicate with people and and I always remembered that and thought oh you know that will be fun one day to do with with my kids it's so interesting and I think the way we think about family vacations is going to continue to evolve. And like, I wonder, I wonder what it's going to be like and what the big vacation is going to be like when our kids are in middle school or high school. I know. Cause I, I feel like in the nineties, like you said, like those ranches were really popular. I remember my girl scouts went to one of those ranches. They were super popular in the nineties. The Disney vacation was really popular. Now, obviously it's still popular, but it's, it's becoming prohibitively expensive yes. too. Yeah. And people are going less and less. Like we used to go every year when I was a kid. I don't see how that would ever be possible for my family now. No, no. You have to live in Florida. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see where these trends go, you know, and with, yeah. with, with the dawning of the internet and everything too, like what are the activities that you do on vacation? I know. It almost makes me wonder if we are headed towards like essentially virtual vacations. I didn't want to say it, but I was, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I mean, cause for instance, my husband and I, we play a lot of board games. And one of the things that we do a lot now is we play these escape room games where like it's an escape room in a box. I could go to an escape room, but then I have to get, a babysitter and I have to pay to get there and I have to pay to do the escape room or I can spend $10 and buy an escape room in a box and do it right at my table. So it's sort of like, there's a lot more of that now, like having dates at home, having staycations, you know? So it's, it's like, are we going to start doing these things where we just break from our normal everyday pattern, but stay home to save money, but still like create memories Ah, yes. Well, and I think that's another thing that's shifting from when we were kids is like, it used to be all about like, saving up all of the money that you spend working day after day for this like one big vacation that you take Mm -hmm. all year. And it's this lavish thing. And Mm -hmm. you, you know, you go out to dinner. And I think we are moving more toward like, 
the quality of the experience that you have, regardless mm-hmm. of where it is. Yeah. Or like even I remember when when my husband and I were, were going to Iceland and obviously like going abroad is never cheap, but like I wanted to go to Iceland and I knew what budget we had. So we did that budget airline yeah. where it's like, <laughs> you know, $350 round trip and your knees are basically in your eyeballs when you're sitting there yes. and there's no in-flight entertainment and there's no food on the plane, you know, but we we wanted to go. And so we were going to do it at the budget we had, whereas I feel like back in the day, like my parents would have never done something like that, even just the two of them. And like, it, it would have been like, well, either we're either going to do it the way we want to do it or we're not going to go at all. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very much like, how do we make this work for us in a way that's still meaningful, but doesn't like cripple us financially? <sighs> when we were little, at least in my family, you did the Disney trips. I think the furthest we would travel when I was really little was Canada, but like people are more and more taking young children abroad and to have experiences when they're young. And like, if you go online, there are all these blogs about like flying with children and flying with babies and like people are less wary and they really want their kids to have experiences that, that are varied and different and give them an idea of different cultures in the world. I think it's great. Yeah. Like so many people have said to me, Oh, but, but Joey and Liam won't remember going to Disney. And I was like, that seems irrelevant. They're going to have a great time while we're there and I'm going to have a good time and I will take lots of pictures and videos and then they will have the memories of the pictures and videos. I have memories of things that are in picture and video form. Like I don't remember actually being there, but I, I remember telling the story of being there and looking at the pictures of me being there. And so like I have a different version of the memory, but I have the memory and it's still valuable to me. So I sort of feel like it's okay to, to bring little ones on big vacations. I agree. And if you wait and wait and wait, you're never going to go. I know. And if you go before they're two, they're free. They're free. (laughs) (laughs) They're free for everything. Liam costs nothing to go to Disney. (laughs) Except my sanity. All right. Should we wrap it up there? Yeah. So, so let's see if you have any, uh, any great family vacation stories that you want to share with us or, um, mom moments around planning your family vacation, which is harrowing. You can send us those at, um, where can you send those? You can send those to us (laughs) by email, I guess, at opdwpodcast at gmail.com. You can do it on Facebook. We have a group. You can get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram at OPDW Podcast. We're always happy to hear from you, hear all your funny, interesting stories about the trials and tribulations of parenting. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And we want to thank Theo Rosenberg for our music. So thank you, Theo. Thanks, Theo. All right. Until next time. Don't dive in doorness. (laughs) 